Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is Julie Bates with the podcast, Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 198. And in today's episode, um, I'm going to revisit a topic that I've, that's been through the 198 uh, episodes sporadically. And it's because of a lot of questions and inquiries and things and also stuff that I've heard lately about people with a Pointing Lab puppy. So what, you know, what are you supposed to do? Now, in Training the Pointing Labrador book, there's, I don't know, maybe a fourth of the whole book is developed, is around just all the stuff you want to do with your puppy. Uh, so this is just going to be a podcast talking about when you get a retriever that's, um, and this kind of goes for all upland work, on retrievers, but certainly is very significant for retrievers with a natural point. And, and what are the things with a puppy that are, are useful to you, things that you will wish you had done um, that make this whole path a lot easier? And there's a lot of ideas, and there's not a one right way, right? There's never just one right way about anything. And over a long time, and a lot of dogs, you know, I've I have discovered and found for within my own experience and the dogs that I've had into train, what seems to be the best way to get all the right things going at the right time. So that's what I'm going to talk about. And I've talked to other good people and they have variations and different things. So I'm just going to say the stuff that, that I've done that has worked. I'm at, I think, 86 uh, Grandmasters now. Um, I'm going to, maybe I'll just stop at 100. I don't know. <laughs> but 86 Grandmasters, I don't know how many four times, but it's a substantial number of those went on to become four times. And so I've had a, a reasonable amount of experience. And those are just the ones that I that were competed. And that's probably a fourth of the dogs, you know, that I've, I've trained like that. But anyway, let's get to the, to the nuts and bolts of this thing on, on a pointing retriever puppy. And frankly, now, you know, I've seen every, almost every flat coat I've ever had in to train pointed. A substantial number of the Goldens have pointed. <laughs> and some of the flushing labs that I get in point. And some of the pointing guys don't point. So, you know, I'm not going to weigh in on too much of that. But if the pointing is a priority to you, the upland hunting, the pointing, and of course, the retrieving stuff is very important. So many times I have people tell me, I'm only going to upland hunt. That's all I'm going to do. I'm not going to waterfowl. And it doesn't really change the training because they still need to be really good retrievers. Presumably that's why everyone buys a retriever that points, that does upland anyway, because them getting the bird back to you efficiently and quickly is a big part of the thing. And them really loving to do that is real important. So it you know, whether you're going to duck hunt or not duck hunt doesn't change any of this. And the two things are not, uh, they're very compatible. They, they really do go side by side. But there's some misconceptions um, sometimes. There's some funny ideas. So if the priority with the puppy that you have gotten is one that you do want one that points, because th it, that's kind of a luxury I'm not saying, you know, there's awesome hunt flushing labs. You know, I've owned some, and, 
and and they they do a great job. You got to keep them in gun range, and you got to have them under control and dechased and all that. Pointing is a, a little bit of a luxury, because they're every bit as aggressive about locating birds, but they tend to to if they get out a little bit further and they hold their points right, you get a little bit of time. You know, there's a bird there before it comes flying up. Uh, a lot of the time. Now, if you're hunting running pheasant in South Dakota, that doesn't go for anything. But pointing is is a luxury. When you have a solid pointer, it's it's a very nice way to hunt if you like hunting that way. Um, and they don't point every single, you know, they don't point if a bird is running, they're not going to stop and point and watch it run away. They might stop because they're de-chased. But you want them to point birds that are holding so that you have a chance to go and, and harvest the bird. So if the pointing is a priority and the retrieving has to be a priority. I mean, it doesn't do much good if you shoot something and it goes in the cattails. If that dog isn't willing and intensely passionate about going in there and digging that out, even when it's really hard. So that's what we've got here is, is um, the pointing and the retrieving and the teamwork. We, we all want that. I don't know anybody that doesn't want that. You want a dog that hunts for you and with you not in spite of you or heck with you. And, you know, if they just take off and they run 300 yards out and birds are flying out of the way, that's not very useful. So how do you get the puppy? How do we develop this in a right balanced way so that when the dog is a year old and two years old and for the rest of its life is a really uh, partnership, well-trained, controllable, uh, efficient dog that loves what it's doing and thoroughly understands its job and isn't out of balance on stuff. Isn't a wild and crazy dog and, and yet still loves to do what it's doing. So the first part of that, and I won't go into detail here, is when you get your eight-week-old puppy, there's your retriever puppy, there's two things you want to do right off the bat. And one is take the daily walk. And I'm not going to go into that. I have several podcasts describing that. The dog is not on a leash. You are in a natural environment, safe, without, not a dog park, where there's 87 dogs that are going to maul your eight-week-old puppy, but somewhere in a natural environment where you and the dog just take off. And you go, and you don't stop, and you don't encourage, and you don't beg it to do stuff and entice it. You just take off walking through the field, ultimately, like you will be doing when you're hunting. And at first, the puppy may or may not stick with you. Then you pick them up, carry them with you, set them down, and walk back. They're probably going to come with you. If they're a little overwhelmed the first day or two, that's fine. They will soon come to love this. And it's their off-leash, and this is where they learn that it's the two of you, not the family, not the family dogs, the two of you, and you're moving together through the field. And once they get used to that, then they start to explore the thing, field and learn about things that they step on that hurt, things that poke them, different smells, yummy stuff to eat. That's a part of it that's disgusting. Um, and they begin to learn to uh, interact with their environment, all the while staying with you. And again, I have an entire bunch of stuff on how to do that. That is, I, for me, mandatory. I did it with my wiener dog. I did it with the Great Pyrenees we used to have. I've done it with every dog I've ever raised in my entire life. And it is absolutely priceless. 
Those are the dogs that get out of the vehicle and wait for you, see what you're going to do, stay with you, don't just run away. But you can't do it every now and then. If you do that every day, and I know life makes that hard, I understand that. If, but if you do it every day, or almost every day, then pretty soon you two are just kind of a duo. You're a pair, you're a team, and they watch you, they keep an eye on you, they go your speed, they go where you're going, and you are very connected. That's going to be exactly what you want in the upland field. It's also what you want everywhere else, but you want that in the upland field. That's number one critical thing to do with the dog. If getting out and moving through the field and walking for, in the beginning, it's 10 minutes, but it should get up to more than that when they get a little bit bigger and older. If that's difficult for you, then upland hunting is going to be difficult for you. So maybe it would be good if you got in a little better shape or, you know, if that's possible, if you can do that, it's going to help you. But it's so important for that puppy. The fitness aspects of it, the connection aspects of it, the exploring and understanding how to interact with the environment and what all of the cues and the signs and the smells and the taste and the pokes and the feel of everything and the wind, they learn all of that. It is immensely valuable. That's one thing that you want to do for this dog. The other thing you want to do for your retriever is retrieving. And if you start, if they're at eight weeks, they have no clue what you're doing and no idea. Um, I wish your breeders would have worked on that a little bit, but try to do that. That's where the hall, the rolled up sock down the hallway, something with your smell, rub it on the puppy so it smells like the puppy. But you want to get the little puppy to begin the little light bulb of retrieving to click on. And you don't do it with food. You know, do not put food in a thing so that they're going after food. Retrieving is not going after food. If it is, then they're going to go out the bird you shot and eat it. So we don't want retrieving to be associated with food. We want it to be associated with their innate desire to do that. And so you throw your little sock down, and after you rubbed it on, so does puppy smell and your smell, and then they bring it back to you maybe once, maybe twice, and then you stop, take it out of their mouth, get it where they got to go, and they got to come back. And when they get that to be a little bit of a habit, get out of the hallway. You know, I've heard of four-month-old dogs, they're still doing it in the hallway. This is eight weeks to nine weeks you do it there. Then we go outside and do it. Maybe even in the middle of your walk, you pull out your little, whatever their little retrieving object is, and you throw it down the path and they bring it back. If they don't bring it back, have a little cord on them so that they come back to you with or without it. Retrieving is an out-and-back thing. And so it's important that they become, they love the retrieving. More is not better. Say it again, more is not better. Two or three, that's it. And you want, you want them out and back. And they're going to want more and more. And don't just, just do a few of them and stop and put it away. Have one thing they retrieve. Don't throw sticks, all right? Because if a stick is a good thing to retrieve, then if they can't find a bird when you're hunting, they will bring you a stick because it was so good all the time. Not all dogs do that. I've had it happen to me in hunt tests. They couldn't find a duck in the water, so they grabbed a big stick and brought it back because that was always okay before. So I would only have their retrieving object, their puppy bumper, when they get a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger bumper, so that when they see that one thing, they know we're going to work, and you start developing the passion. 
Toys are not for throwing. I don't care if you have little kids or big kids or whatever. Toys are not for throwing. The dog can play with the toys. The dog can chew them up, throw them around themselves. But work is work. So have your puppy retrieving thing, and it's only maybe a couple times in the morning if they do it and a couple times in the end of the day if they do it. If they don't do it, find a way to entice them and get them. Be crazy. Jump up and down and throw it around and run out of there and just do something so that they go, oh, man, this is fun. And that they always go out and they always come back. Because one of the things I always hear is, well, yeah, they love to run out, but then they just won't give it back and they run all around. And I'm wondering, why do you let them do that? I mean, there's just no reason to ever let, the, if, they sh- if they show that to you one time, from then on, have a real light, easy cord that the dog can drag out there with them. And then when they get it in their mouth, bring them back. If they spit it out, that's okay. Bring them back and go throw it again. In other words, don't let them learn about parading around and, and running behind you and playing chase. And don't be passive about that. Get the cord on and just teach them, hey, dude, you go out and you come back. And don't do very many and only throw their one thing. And I know that is just sounds terrible because they have so many fun toys and the kids like to throw their ball. Don't. All right. Some people do not agree with me on this, and that's fine. I'll never throw a ball for a pudding lab in my entire life because never do I ha- is there any place where I want my pointing lab chasing a thing along the ground, okay? That, there's, there's no place I want them doing that. The only time I ever want them going after a wounded bird, I will send them and tell them to retrieve that. But just because it's so fun to chase something on run, rolling along on the ground, you throw a lot of balls, that becomes a thing. And very often, the chase is more fun than the retrieve. So then you're not really developing your retrieving so much as they're just having fun chasing stuff. So rabbits would be fun and squirrels would be fun, none of which I assume you're hunting. So one retrieve object, every time they see it, they know they're going to get that. They know they go out and they come back. They don't get in trouble. We're not making them be steady. We just want them to love retrieving. That's the first thing. They have to love the retrieving. Don't don't put rules and controls and regulations on anything until they love it. After they're passionate about it, go nuts and can hardly wait, then you can make them sit. Make them sit, hold on to them, and somebody throws it out there, and then you let them go. Have a release. Have you know Conventionally, it's their name. So if you're hunting with somebody else, you send the correct dog, only one goes. Have a thing that you say. Don't just chuck it out there and anytime you see something flying around, you go after it because you don't need that in the upland field either or the duck blind. Anytime something's flying through the air doesn't mean take off. You only take off when I want you to go get it and then you come straight back. So once they love it, then have them sit, throw it out there, send fang, they go get it, they come back. It goes from their mouth to your hand, if at all possible. And you do a few, and then they're like, no, come on, let's do more. And you put it away until the next time. And that way you build this extreme desire to do it. And they never know any bad ways. They only know I go out and come back. Oh, man, enjoy it because you don't get to do it nearly as much as you want. Do not use retrieving for exercise. Use the walk for exercise. Retrieving is their job. 
Let them get better and better at their job. Don't try to kill a bunch of birds with one stone here because it's easier for you. Those things are different to the dog and they should be. So the retrieving is their ultimate job. So that's very serious. And when they do that, they do it focused with you as a team under some reasonable control once they have the desire. And don't make a game out of it and have them chasing things and all that. I, 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 it's just a lot easier if you never do that. Um, I wish I, you could talk to people who have followed that. And then their dogs just never know bad stuff. They don't have bad habits. They don't even know you could take something and run another direction. They don't even know that. It just always goes right back to, to mom or dad. So that's a, a real important thing. So we have our walk where you develop your connection and the environmental understanding and learning about the world and themselves and all the stuff that's out there and physical strength, cardiovascular strength. We have the retrieving, which is what and who they are. And you start that from the beginning as soon as they show interest in it. If they don't, wait a week, start it, try again. You know, they generally, if you buy a good dog, they're probably going to retreat. Not 100% of them do, but most of them do. Develop that. It's their job. Make sure that they understand. They always go out and you come back and it's a team thing. And you have, you know, here or whatever you have to call them back. And make sure you have a thing you send them on so that there's a lot of clarity for the dog instead of just some general wild retrieving and this seems good. That's nothing you want in the upland field. Now the third part of this. I don't um, tie wings onto bumpers. I don't definitely don't use the sprays that you can get at Cabela's and everywhere um, because they're not going to be hunting feathered plastic things, and they're just not that stupid. And that's not a bird introduction. That is a plastic thing with a bird wing stuck on it. So the third part of this, and this is for upland stuff, not for the, not for waterfowl stuff, not for ducks and geese and that kind of thing. What is the optimum thing to do for dogs that are going to be pointing dogs? And frankly, flushing upland dogs as well, but I'm talking about the pointing. Is getting inside there and turning on that little light bulb about upland birds and this behavior that they hopefully have in them, which is an indirect opposition almost to the go get it of retrieving. But it's, it's opposite in that there it is and they don't do anything, which is pointing. It's different than retrieving. If you do nothing but retrieving and they never <clears throat> get their exposure to upland birds, then you develop one side of their behavior and not the other. Sometimes that can be compensated for, and sometimes it cannot. I wouldn't risk it ever, ever, ever. Any little pointing lab puppy I've ever raised, and granted, I have birds here most of the time. You know, I'm a professional trainer, so I have this stuff. But when they're eight or nine weeks old, we go put, I put kind of a week. I used to use quail, but I can't house quail anymore. So I'll put a weaker chucker that's not going to just get up and run away real quick kind of tuck it down somewhere and then just bring that little dog by downwind of it all can, you know sometimes it just doesn't register at all they, they just go right on by and they never detect that and other times you know they do and then they 
go in and then they jump on it and then they try to grab it if it doesn't get away, you know, all non-pointing stuff. And sometimes they go in there and just lock up on a point. But whichever one of those things they do, you know, that's what I do in the beginning. And then a few days later or a week later, I'll do it again. And at, over time and as their little brains begin to mature and they begin to kind of grasp more things, then you are providing opportunities for that little part inside of them with that upland bird. And uh, it's got to be, for me, it's an upland bird. I, they just, you know, a, a, a dove or something doesn't really count as that. But when they begin to connect between what they're smelling or seeing and that uh, internal behavior that they have, when that stuff be begins to connect, then they begin to understand this thing that's just a part of them, part of their programming, where it's like, oh, there's that bird. And some dogs that are going to be good pointers don't point for a while, and that's very normal. But the continued exposure of birds that they cannot catch continues to bring out that behavior. And a lot, and a lot of times, and the, the really the ones that are so fun that point the first time, they don't have a clue what they're doing. They do, they do, they are not saying there's an upland bird. I'm pointing it out to you. They don't. There's none of that. They just stop. They don't even know what they're doing. And you can just see them, and all of a sudden they catch themselves going, whoa, like they shake it off. And then they want to go in there, and, and if they grab it or chase it, chasing's great. If they, what you wanted to do is fly away, and I know that's money fly away and kind of go after it and for when they're young and they can't you know go to the next county you let them do it it's like yeah birds are good you can't they can't be in trouble right off the bat because that makes finding a bird bring bad stuff so you let them chase it or and all that you know you can card pigeons if, if there's nothing else to do you can do that and then you can they can't go too far and you can go get them but you have to turn on that little thing and again some do right off I mean it's amazing right off like little English pointers always do that you know but some a lot of the the well-bred uh, pointing retrievers will go do that and then and then later they get real aggressive and they start busting in and that's a whole nother thing but at least you've seen that they're pointing and that they begin to understand this dog bird relationship and they begin to be able to understand the stuff that's coming in their nose, the smell, means something. It's made better if you do the daily walk. Because on your daily walk, where they learn to look for, you know, deer poop and all the yummy stuff, they begin to understand that they gather information in their nose. And they begin to learn what certain smells mean and what they signal. Dogs that never go out on the walk in a natural environment never get to acquire that other than in the house. Somebody drops a macaroni. You know, they learn that kind of stuff, but not the natural environment where they'll be hunting. So if you can do the, 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 the walk things where they begin to make the literal neural connection between their olfactory nose things and their thinking things, and then you go do that on your birds, then they begin to understand this other deal. And that is, again, it's, it's ancestrally in them. And they're like, there are birds out here. And they become very intense about it. They begin to learn about it. And they begin to really develop whatever they are going to be about it. 
and they understand. So when you go out in a field, now they are looking. And then after you start, when if, if you have a dog that just keeps pointing and pointing, you either have to have a dead one to throw for them or shoot something if they're not too young. Don't do it too, too young. Um, but you start to have to start saying, when you point birds, this is what happens. You get to go get them and bring them to me. And I've had young, young dogs that I could do that with, like four months old. And then a lot of times I'll just throw a dead or even a bumper so that they get something out of it. But these, these three components all go into developing a really excellent upland dog. And all three, they work together. They're separate when you do the activities with them now as little puppies. They're separate things. The walk is, that's all you do. When you're retrieving, that's all you do. It's not a game. It's not, it's that. And then when you're out there introducing them to birds, it's not very long. You don't take an hour to do it. I'll put it 50 feet away from wherever we go out so that they're going to get it real shortly until pretty soon they start looking for it and they catch it every time. And you begin to develop that part of their, I'm not sure, that part of their head, that part of their heart, you begin to develop that along with the other stuff. So that, the pointing part, the upland part, as I've always said, is very um, independent thinking. In other words, they have to go out, they have to smell, they have to work to find these things, they have to listen to what their nose is telling them and listen to what their ears are telling them and pay attention to what their eyes are telling them and put it together and locate birds. They do that. You cannot do that for them. If you do, then you're just a helicopter parent and shouldn't be doing that at all. They have to do that. And when they ultimately are going to hunt for you, they are. it's an independent thinking. Now your walk and a lot of your work has taught them yeah, you're doing it on your own, but you stay within 30 yards of me or whatever your range would be. You, you, you take the responsibility for doing that. So your walk and your work has taught them you're going to work on your own. At the same time, you're going to know where I am and you're going to be hunting with me. So that's how that ultimately works together. Your retrieving is ultimately the reward. That's the payback for all this stuff. So they understand what their retrieving is. So when... When they do find this bird and, and you do reward the point or whatever you're working on with a retrieve of some sort, there's the payback. And they know they go get it and they bring it back directly to you. So these three separate areas that you work on separately all come together to make this total package of this hunting dog, upland hunting dog, is particularly pointing, that understands the game. And they can do the independent and the dependent stuff. The retrieving is dependent, right? They ultimately, now when they're young, they just go, right? They go in the, on the gun. You can't have them steady. Don't even try. Again, you're going to be making the bird, finding the bird be a bad thing if you start putting all kind of rules on it until you have them very bold on birds and you putting rules doesn't detract from their high desire to go find these things and point these things. But then when they do retrieve, they efficiently go to it, and then they bring it directly back to you. They don't do flybys. They don't set it down, pick it up, set it down. pick. They bring it back to you. So that's these three separate things that you want to work on all come together to make a really enjoyable um, upland hunting dog. 
And then the more you refine that stuff, you know, this you got to de-chase so that they don't chase birds that are flying around. Not until they're into formal training do you do that kind of stuff. And then you can staunch them up and just do all kinds of stuff. But in these, you know, eight weeks to six or seven months is where you develop these three areas really strongly, separately, <clears throat> and then begin to put them together. And then you can add the more advanced trick training stuff on there. You know, we'll break them, de-chase them, steady them up. It, it's awesome. And it all fits together and makes sense to the dog. But retrieving is dependent. In other words, you're telling them what to do and when to do it. The upland hunting is independent thinking. They need to do the stuff on their own. And if you develop only one of these and not the other, some people just put their dog on birds and they're chasing them all over the county and, they, and they're not learning that they're working as a team. Then you got to use a lot of pressure and force to force them to work on, on it as a team a little bit later on. But if you do these things kind of balanced out together, it's much easier on the dog and it's much easier on you. And there's a lot less pressure and correction and screaming and yelling and being mad and electric collar stuff. Much less of that if you just compile this program and put it together. So it's fun. It's easy when you do that way. It takes effort. <laughs> you got to think about what you're doing. And you can't kill a couple birds with one stone. You really ought to do these things separately. Like I said, you can do the retrieve in the middle of the walk. Two, three retrieves. Great, put it away, finish the walk. But if you can't, you know, because the retrieve shouldn't be in the backyard, on the back patio, or down the hallway, except in the very, very beginning. And then you start doing it out in the real world. It is, it just a, takes the time, and most of all, it just takes you thinking a little bit about what it is you're trying to do. And it's for the long-term goal in mind. And to everyone, and I've been asked this a lot, about shortcuts, there are no shortcuts. You don't, there are not shortcuts to becoming an Olympic athlete, to becoming a lawyer, to becoming an excellent, you know, master electrician. There are no shortcuts. And there are no shortcuts to having your dog well trained on all the fundamentals and really understand what their job is, what their role is, what your role is in this whole hunting thing. There are no shortcuts. You can't, Kill two birds with one stone. If you take care of each thing all by itself, they will slowly move together, and it you will never regret uh, approaching it that way. So I'm going to leave that with that. That's 30 minutes worth of talking about puppies. But if you think about it a little bit in terms of logic, you know, you're not buying a dog bot. You're, you're buying this little living thing that doesn't know anything about anything. And if you carefully teach it, you know, what the great passions are, the retrieving and the looking for birds. And yet you teach it what its job is, out and back, you stay with me, all that kind of stuff. You can have um, a lot of success. You really can. So I hope that's useful. That's this week's uh, podcast. No G report because she got her Master Pointing Retriever title last weekend. We're getting ready to go after some more. Um, and she was raised exactly the way that I am talking about. Exactly. The walk every day, birds every week, retrieving, you come out and you come straight back. Um, and it's worked out really well. So happy spring to everybody. I hope everybody is staying healthy and safe. And uh, 
She and I will be back soon. <laughs>